All right, Riverbend, I hate to interrupt the conversations, but we're going to get into our time of teaching. Don't get too comfortable. If you're, if you're sitting already, I'm going to ask you to stand again for the reading of our scripture. I made the mistake at first service. I said, find your seat, and then I asked everybody to stand. They all yelled at me. So, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, what those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. So you're back for more, huh? This is very brave of you. I respect that. If you're new, uh, we are in part two of a three-part series on sexual integrity. I wish we had the time for like a last episode recap, but there's just way too much for us to cover today. That being said, this message is building on very important plot points that we introduced last week. So if you missed it, please, please, please go back and listen to our podcast. An 18-year-old man who was exposed to pornography at the age of six said, porn is my drug. No matter how hard I try, I keep coming back to my addiction of watching people having sex on the internet. And he's not the only one. In one year, on one porn site, the world watched 4.6 billion hours of porn. That's more than 523,000 years worth of porn watched by the world in one year on one website. I shared that statistic with Joe in my community, who's an engineer and a project manager. He's very practically minded, and he was shocked with that number, as was I, and as I'm sure many of you are. And he said, man, that is a lot of man hours that people are watching porn. Like, he was, uh, it was like, he was saying, like, if we could, like, organize people to do something much more productive with that time instead of watching pornography, we could, like, solve the world's problems. Which, when you think about it, he's totally right. Like, what global crisis, like the government shutdown or climate issues or the war in Ukraine, couldn't be solved by 523,000 man years of problem-solving energy? I could think of several ideas that would be much better than sitting in front of a screen watching explicit sex. And that night, as I was uh, just going to bed, I, I just kept thinking about Joe's comments, and it dawned on me, porn might actually be the bigger global crisis. Like, what other things are we not able to do or accomplish because we're being distracted into spiritual oblivion by tech in general and porn specifically? In another recent poll, 91% of American men and 60% of women have used porn in the last 30 days. 57% of Christian pastors have a current or past struggle with pornography. Uh, people with a porn habit are 300 times more likely to cheat on their partner. And 56% of divorces cite the internet use of a partner as a driving factor. Now, I know what you're thinking. We should have gone to Journey this morning. Like, this is just too much. <laughs> 
Just keeping it real for you folks. Like, don't give up on me. Have faith in your boy. This is all headed to some like future vision of holiness, you guys. Come on, every single uh, revival that's ever happened in the history of the church has been preceded by a community who's devoted to prayer with a culture of consecration to holiness to God. So come on, guys, let's go. That's what this is all about, this series. Our culture has a porn problem. Some of us have a porn problem, and today we want to understand what that problem is all about in light of the, scripture, in light of the scriptures. So the quintessential heroic story of victory over sexual temptation in the Bible is Joseph. And we studied his life in our Genesis series this summer. Uh, he was a servant in Potiphar's house in Egypt, and he resists the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife and refuses to sleep with her until one day when they're alone, she sort of corners him. And Joseph, in that moment, has the strength of character to flee, despite the fact that she grabbed him by the clothes and took them. So this is clearly an example of sexual wholeness and integrity for us to follow. Like, no question. Like, you say that you are committed to holiness. Man, Joseph has one up to you, man. He was willing to run naked out of a temptress's house, right? Like, he was basically like, far be it from me to sin against my God. And he took that commitment to holiness to a whole nother level. So, Essentially what we're saying is that sexual temptation has always been a thing for humanity. Like the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes says, there is nothing new under the sun. However, we're living in a time where Potiphar's wife is everywhere that you have internet access. Never before in world history has the power of seduction been so invasive to our stream of consciousness. See, once Joseph ran out of Potiphar's house, he was free of that sexual temptation. He had to find some clothes, but he was free from that, uh, that, that temptation. He didn't have like 5G satellites following him and an iPhone in his pocket. In the first century, when the, first, uh, when the New Testament letters were written in the Roman Empire, prostitution and pagan sex cults were legal and celebrated parts of society. You might say that they were equally as promiscuous as our time, but it cost money. You had to leave your home. You had to enter a brothel or a temple or something like that. Even just a few decades ago, I remember growing up in the 1990s, and every, way, every day on our way to swim practice, we would drive by a big porn shop called Mr. Peeps. And uh, yeah, it was a bizarre name. And it was this purple and yellow building with no windows and parking in the back. So porn's always been really accessible, but you had to drive there when they were open. You had to pay money, you had to show an ID proving you were over 18, and then you'd have to sneak out with your magazines or DVDs or whatever it is that they were selling you so that nobody saw you. Even dial-up internet was a different time. But today, porn is effectively free. It's always available to stream from home, and it's completely anonymous. The most popular porn sites in the world have bigger servers than Hulu because they have more streaming traffic and demand for their content. So the point is this, that sex has always been an industry and the people of God have always had the task of discipleship to Jesus and sexual formation in a secular context. But today, unlike the rest of history, porn is easier to find than it is to avoid. As most of you know, I'm not on social media. No judgment if you are, but just for me, I've got some reasons I'm not on it. Uh, but when uh, we were doing the redesign of the church kitchen and everything else, I broke down and got a Pinterest account because I wanted to be a part of like making some of the design decisions and stuff like that. And in that account, uh, I had to specify that I'm a man in my 30s and my interests are interior design and like a few other things. I think they make you pick like three things. And so then I created my account, I logged on, I searched like large minimalist kitchen faucet or something like that. And then sure enough, 300 photos of faucets showed up in my feed and I would scroll through them and, you know, save the ones that I liked. And then every once in a while in that sort of feed of faucets, I would also get an ad. And then to my surprise, I would get a photo every now and again of a, like a mostly naked woman would just show up in my feed, not because I'm searching for it, but just because it's there somehow. And I think to myself, well, that's weird. And I just kind of keep scrolling. And then sure enough, a little bit later, another one would show up in my feed. 
And at that point, I'm not really prepared. I haven't prepared my heart to resist temptation or anything like that. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this photo that I know in my heart I do not want to be looking at. And you might say, oh, it's not porn necessarily, but it's clearly sexual. And I can choose to rationalize that if I want to. Or I can get rid of Pinterest, which I eventually did, probably weeks too late, because I was thought I needed to pick out a faucet, when in reality I need to guard my heart from th these photos. Now, neuroscientists tell us that our brains respond to sexual stimuli way faster than any other stimulus. That's just our minds and our, our eyes are drawn to sexual stimulus above everything else. I feel like we're all getting a little stiff. Are you guys stiff? I'm stiff. <laughs> Let's just have a, take a breath. We're talking about sex in church. We got to deal with this. Here we go. We got like another 30 minutes, so you got to settle in, all right? <laughs> Neuroscientists tell us that our brains respond to sexual stimuli way faster than any other stimulus. And the algorithms used in social media apps like Pinterest and others, they don't actually need you to click on an image to start sending you more images like it. All it takes for the algorithm to start suggesting more sexual content for you or your teenager or someone in your home is for you to hover on that image of a practically naked woman or man a little bit longer than the image of a kitchen faucet. In other words, what I'm saying is that you're being set up to fail by technology in our world. Porn is easier to find than it is to avoid. Damon Brown writes, uh, it seems so obvious if we invent a machine, the first thing that we are going to do after making a profit is use it to watch porn. He's saying that obviously ironically, but I don't think he's wrong. I think you know, the invention of the iPhone, many other things uh, have proven that true. So is there a solution to the porn problem? If you're that 18 year old man and you're sexually addicted, are you left to just wallow in shame, enslaved to sin, quietly suffering, desperate to keep your sin a secret? Or is there hope for you to be free? Is there some way that you can be free of this sin? And the answer to that is unequivocally, yes, there is. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So when you are in Christ, the scripture teaches us that you cannot be condemned. And what it means for you to be in Christ, Romans 10 tells us, is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, you're saying, I pledge allegiance not to a flag or a nation, but to Jesus as the king of my heart and as the king of the universe. That's what we're pledging allegiance to. That's what it means to confess Christ as Lord. And believe in your heart, meaning you're not able to fake it in any way, shape, or form, but that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. So the way that God accomplishes this salvation is by sending Jesus, of course. And Jesus, he's just like us, but he did not sin. And when he goes to the cross, he absorbs all of the effects of the world's sin into himself. So this is, the scripture teaches, the law of the spirit that gives you life. This is the law of the spirit that gives you life. So when Jesus walks out of the grave on Easter morning, he accomplished, what he accomplishes for me is something that I could never accomplish for myself. He condemns not me, but he condemns my sin. And he makes me right before God and he gives me eternal life. So essentially what we need to do is we need to settle in our hearts that Jesus' victory is more powerful than the porn industry and the AI algorithms that are built into the apps and the servers that host that pornography and the spiritual forces of evil that are compelling people to produce it and the corrupt minds that compulsively want to search for it and watch it. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And this is God's grace. This is God's grace. So the solution to the porn problem is Jesus. 
He covered over that sin by going to the cross. So God's grace is here for you, is here to rescue and save you. That's the hope that we're holding on to. And uh, the reason why we need to like, sit here for a moment and consider that is because I think many of us have made the mistake of turning this into an abstract idea, God's grace. But it's not. God's grace is about turning to Jesus. It's about turning to him. Just like uh, Luke chapter 7 where the prostitute comes to Jesus and receives forgiveness. If I could just get to Jesus, maybe I do have a future. If I could just get to Jesus, maybe I do have hope. If I could just get to Jesus, maybe I can be made whole. See, we turn to Jesus to receive grace, and we come to him broken in all kinds of different ways. Definitely, we come to him sexually broken, but not just sexually broken. We come to him with pride and anger and fear and greed and all kinds of things like this, and he offers us grace. So it's okay to be broken. It's expected that you're going to come to Jesus broken, but it's not okay to stay broken. He wants to make you whole. He wants to transform your life, including your sexuality. And this is why uh, we read a moment ago, Galatians 5. When you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the lusts of the flesh. Now, the mistake that a lot of us modern readers make when we read statements like walk by the Spirit is we think of like a vague monk-like existence. We think of like, I don't know, like robes and harps in a, like a mystical monastery somewhere or something like that. But that's not what is being talked about here. Walking by the Spirit is a concrete lifestyle that's patterned after Jesus himself that aims at connecting you with God's presence and replacing the lies that we believe at the core of our being with the truth. So this is what we call being a disciple of Jesus And it's going to become clear as we go along here today why this is such an important framework. Sometimes we use the framework of spiritual formation. But in a sex-addicted culture like we're living in, this often involves much more than just sort of basic Christian formation. We also need a ministry of sexual recovery. This reminds me of when my brother and sister-in-law, who you met last week, they had bought this beautiful property sort of east of town, and uh, they wanted to build their dream home on it. And they had all of these plans and everything else. But squatters had been living there on that property for years. And so they filled the whole property with garbage and trailers and all kinds of stuff that needed to go. And that was actually the reason why they were able to afford the property in the first place. It sort of been just completely piled up with garbage and all kinds of stuff. But they saw that it had potential. So they had hoped uh, to build this uh, home, second-story mountain views, and, and, and they had this whole sort of dream in their minds that they wanted to realize. But before they could even pour the foundation for their house, they had to demo and remove the trailers and junk that had been left there by the previous people who lived there. They weren't starting with a clean slate. They had inherited this huge mess. And that's what it's like when we come to Jesus for our sexual formation. He's got a whole beautiful vision that he has planned for you, but he's not starting with a blank slate. He's got to start by demoing and removing the stuff that doesn't belong, and then he can lay the foundation for what's to come. And Pure Desire, which is the ministry of sexual recovery we're partnering with in this next stage of our church, has done a lot of research to identify What gives people the courage to finally come forward in their church and admit that they need help getting free from porn and sexual brokenness? And it turns out there are two basic things that people need to feel safe enough to come out of hiding. And the first thing is people need a culture of grace. Culture of grace. You need to feel from your leaders and experience through stories that this church is a place that you will receive grace and compassion from Jesus and not shame-based moralism. We talked a bit about this last week. But the shame story says, try harder. It offers you aspirational theology and calls for more willpower. But you also heard last week that uh, that story from Ryan and Christiana, some of our front runners, as we're calling them, whose lives have been marked by sexual brokenness. But over time, God has done a slow character, character miracle and healing in their hearts. And today, they're walking together in purity and freedom because of that. And it's amazing to see In a few moments, you're going to be hearing from Steve and Marcy, another couple, and next week, you're going to be hearing from a few more, and their honesty and their vulnerability and going first in our community is cultivating a culture of grace here at Riverbend, and we just have to be grateful and thankful for their leadership. This is awesome. 
But we also find that culture of grace is cultivated in spaces where true intimacy is possible. And we hope that you feel very much at home here at Riverbend and that this is a safe place for you. However, these gatherings, which are tend to be larger and mixed company and everything else. Some people who are new to Jesus, some people don't know Jesus at all, and some who are very mature. It's not necessarily the place where we cultivate the truest sense of intimacy. Last week you heard me say that we don't need a couple of high-level talks about what's right and wrong about sex. We need to devote ourselves to a community of counterformation. So the temptation for someone like me is to get, to just sort of like be brave on a few Sundays get over my awkwardness talking about sex, and then chalk it up as a win. And then the temptation for you is to share the podcast with a friend and say, you know, my church is willing to have the sex talk. Now, I'm not saying that the biblical framework around theology of sex is not essential. It's absolutely essential. That's exactly why we're having this conversation right now. But to Jesus, he says, talk is cheap. Practice is what counts. So this series is actually just a primer for recovery community. It's just meaning to prime the conversation for what is to come. And a culture of grace will be cultivated over the next few years in pure desire groups for both men and women and will be guided into sexual wholeness by the Spirit of God together in small groups of recovery community. And this is extremely important if we're going to not just have the right conversations and have the bravery to have the right conversations but actually live into Jesus' sexual ethic. So culture of grace alone is not enough for most people to come out of hiding. Most of us will wait until we're given a spirit-filled process for transformation. We need a culture of grace, but we also need a process for transformation. See, people aren't really interested in compassion if there's not real power to change. And I've heard so many of these stories over the years, time and again, of people who came forward, worked up the courage to confess their struggle with porn or something like that, only to be met with a shoulder to cry on and a prayer for forgiveness, which is absolutely important and essential, but no model for transformation. And people respond to that by basically being demoralized, and it often leads to people feeling more alone and more defeated than ever before. And I just have to say that, personally, I I think I've been a bit ignorant until recently of how we truly change in this area if you're truly addicted. And yet I've sensed over the years, as I've been praying for you, that this is the main issue of our time. So for the last couple of years, we've been quietly doing our deep dive into areas of theology and prayer and successful recovery ministries, as well as a little bit of neuroscience, to try and understand how do we walk by the Spirit in the age of internet porn? How do we actually do that? So with the little bit of time I have left, I just want to share with you as much as I can how you can actually get free, how you can actually get free from an addiction or a compulsion or a habit of internet porn or related uh, unwanted behavior. So get ready, because I'm coming at you hot for the next little bit, okay? Sexual brokenness is a moral issue, a discipleship issue, a brain issue, and a gospel issue. And today we're just going to be covering those first two. Tomorrow or next week we're going to be dealing with the second two, brain issue and gospel issue. Nearly every single New Testament letter includes instructions for sexual formation. I'm going to give you two besides the one we already read from Galatians 5. 1 Thessalonians, Paul teaches to learn to control our own bodies. It says this, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So the Greek word for sexual immorality is the, is the word porneia. That's where we get our word porn, obviously. And in the historic Christian Orthodox view, we have always interpreted that to mean all sexual activity outside of a marriage covenant. And that would include viewing pornography and masturbation as well. Let me just highlight for you again, we need to live into a better story for our sexuality. That was the topic of last week. So if you missed last week, please go back and listen to that one. I don't have time to deal with that just now. But in 1 Corinthians, uh, we are taught that the effects of sexual sin are uniquely harmful to our own body compared to other types of sin. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality just like our boy Joseph did. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
who you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So in other words, when you're experimenting sexually, you're not experimenting with harmless behavior. Sexual sin is like a disease to your body. Medical science would say that checks out, totally checks out. And by the way, now that you're in, in, in Christ, your body isn't yours anymore. Like you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, so consecrate your body to him. Now I realize as I'm saying this that there are many people here in the room who have been victims of sexual abuse. Last week I gave a little disclaimer for that. This week I didn't take the time to do that, but I just want to take a moment now to say that if you have been a victim of some form of sexual abuse, whether that was recently or when you were a child, we are here for you. We want to support you. Our hearts are broken for you, but the Lord wants to heal you too. So even though some of these words from Scripture might actually uh, like be difficult to, to face and to hear, the reality is that God is here and he wants to heal you and he has a vision for that. Are you guys with me? Thank you. There are two, these are just two of several dozen instructions in the New Testament alone. And for Jesus, sexual integrity is more than about just the act of sex. It's also about the heart fantasizing about a man or woman is also lust. In the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is saying to this like very religious crowd, like, hey, listen, stop looking for loopholes. Don't look for loopholes. Purify your hearts. Like this is not just about the act of sex, it's also about fantasy. So all these voices are, or verses are pointing to something really similar here, that sexual brokenness is a moral problem. It's a sin problem. It's a heart problem. And for a heart problem, we have a really great like, biblical framework for what we do with sin and heart problems. We confess. We repent and we consecrate our lives. Jesus, I have gotten it wrong. I have believed a lie. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Please make me whole. Like That is what the scripture lines out for us about how we like, confess sin and turn away from sin. But in addition to sexual brokenness being a moral problem, it's also a discipleship problem. Here's what we know. Sexual brokenness is rarely about just sex. It's about coping with life, pain, and things outside of our control. For those who struggle with a porn habit, almost everyone that I've talked to reports a very similar experience. Here's how it goes. How are you doing? Oh, I feel great. I'm doing really great. I'm feeling really hopeful. I swear that I'm never going to back to porn, not in a million years. I will never turn back to porn. And they even have really good like precautionary measures like accountability software on their web browsers and stuff like that. But then life happens. Life happens in the form of home stress or work stress or relational brokenness or things from our past bubbling up, trauma, and many other sort of subconscious and emotional factors. And this is, we learn, where we are most vulnerable to falling back into habitual sin, whether that be sexual sin or really any kind of habitual addictive behavior that we don't want. When life happens, we're faced with a choice. Will I make the, here's the choice, will I make the harder choice of facing the issues at hand by surrendering to God and dealing with the underlying emotions head on, or will I take the easier route, the easier choice of just this is too hard. I'm just going to reach for my coping behavior. And maybe it starts with just sort of delaying and putting off my responsibilities. And then it moves to like binge eating some comfort food. And then it turns to scrolling through social media or just binging out on, net, on Netflix or YouTube or something like that. And then it becomes just a slippery slope. Just a few clicks away from Instagram is explicit porn. And not because I'm particularly aroused, but because this is the thing I've repeatedly done to escape the unaddressed parts of my interior life. It's about a coping strategy. Ben Bennett, in his book, Free to Thrive, writes, porn was not my problem. It was my pseudo-solution. It's my pseudo-solution. Of course, this is not something that people intentionally do. We don't actually believe that looking at porn will solve our problems. It may mask them for a short time or something like that. But these behaviors that we are uh, 
enslaved to, as in the biblical language, they are creating a bigger problem at the core of who we are. And the reason why we're reaching for these unwanted behaviors is because we've been shaped from childhood into unrational and unhealthy coping strategies. And over the years, as I've been a part of many different people's network of care as a pastor in this area of sexual brokenness, I have been completely shocked and I mean shocked by the amount of people whose innocence around sex was robbed by early exposure to porn and sexual abuse. It is way more prevalent than I thought it was five years ago. And I would not be surprised to learn that many of you were exposed to pornography early. And that's because we came of age, most of us, in the internet age when our parents were still figuring out what good common sense boundaries were around the internet. And this sexual uh, early exposure often leads uh, to, or definitely leads to sexual dysfunction and sexual sin in many different ways, but it oftentimes also leads to a form of sexual addiction. So I, get, I think the most, uh, you know, the, the most hopeful thing that we could say about this particular statistic and what's going on here is that if you are a parent, you can't go back 20 years and change how you were introduced to pornography or change the fact that the, like the neighbor kid or your uncle or something like that was abusive to you. You can't change that. But what you can do is you can curate a safe environment for your children. This is a rampant problem. So please, please, please protect your children from the internet and from unsafe people. Jay Stringer, in his book, Unwanted, writes this, Our unwanted behaviors and even the specific fantasies we search for on the internet are not random. They are shaped and predicted by the parts of our story that remain unaddressed. Interesting. So in other words, what he's saying is whatever in our life is not transformed by Jesus continues to impact our behavior, whether it be sexual or otherwise. And... Um, to understand this idea a little bit deeper, I uh, adapted this infographic from Pure Desire, which they adapted from somebody else. There's like uh, lots of different folks have used this metaphor. It's very, very common. I think maybe Freud was the first one to use it, but we're calling this the iceberg of human brokenness. Not a particularly fun name, but I promise you something fun's coming here in a minute. Are you tightened up again? You did it on me, guys. Come on. Don't tighten up. We're almost done. Um, this metaphor uh, of, the, of the iceberg analogy, uh, it, it comes from this, this idea that only about 10% of an iceberg is visible above the water. 90% of an iceberg's mass is underwater. So in a similar way, when it comes to our sexual brokenness, the only thing that's actually above the surface that, we, that you can actually see is the unwanted behavior. It's the porn habit or it's the sexually promiscuous lifestyle or something like that. But beneath the surface of that unwanted behavior are several layers of our interior life. Several layers of our interior life that we're not really looking at, at that often. The layer that's closest to the surface is our intrusive thoughts and negative emotions. Things like anxiety, fear, anger, loneliness. The feelings, the intrusive thoughts that life is hard, I just cannot deal with this or that situation. And studies show that for most people in the modern West, particularly millennials and Gen Z, we are, most of us, dealing with some form of low-grade ambient anxiety most of the time that's putting us on edge. And the problem is, is that this is usually the deepest layer that we examine. But our emotions are nowhere close to the deepest part of who we are. The layer that's right beneath our thoughts and feelings is our life architecture, the, the habits and the rhythms that make up our life. How do you get to sleep tonight? How do you get to sleep at night? What is the first thing you do in the morning? How do we fuel our bodies with food and drink? The things that we put into our mind and our stream of consciousness, our exercise routine, our work rhythms, our rhythms of worship, all of these things, whether they're unintentional or intentional, they inform our emotional and spiritual health. And a staggering amount of these things we do purely by habit. Charles Duhigg and others have popularized that idea that most of what we do on a daily basis, we're not consciously choosing to do, we're actually doing by habit. It's underneath the surface of our consciousness. And the deepest layer of our interior life is our core beliefs, our core beliefs. And we like to say that our core belief is that, you know, Jesus is king and that the culmination of the greatest love story in all, of all time is that he's coming back and he's uniting heaven and earth together and my destiny is to enjoy his transcendent glory for all eternity in relationship with him. 
And to be fair, to be truthful, that is exactly what we're living into. But often, when we finally do access the depths of our heart, our core belief is really informed more by our brokenness than by the truth. I'm unworthy of love. No one really loves me for me. My value is in what other people say or think about me or some equivalent lie. And this is why, this is how um, to somebody who's sexually addicted, when all we do is shame-based moralism, like, hey, try, try harder, do better, do something different next week, we're only addressing the top 10%, the unwanted behavior. You shouldn't be doing that. Do something different. And when that's our message, honestly, we're, we're just shooting our wounded. We're just shooting our wounded. And really what we need to be doing is looking at the pervasive problem of sexual brokenness inside of the church and see the larger trend that's indicating that our discipleship paradigms are weak. They're not strong enough. And many of us are living mostly unexamined lies. And so we need to examine our lives and we need to be able to go, different, to go deeper. But here's the good news. The good news with that is that if this is a discipleship problem in addition to a heart and moral problem, then we have a much better solution than just pointing out the unwanted sexual behavior. We have better solutions out there. We can devote ourselves to practices from the way of Jesus that are aimed at connecting us with the presence of God and actually replacing lies, the core of who we are, with what's actually true. And this is exactly what the scriptures are instructing us when it says, learn to control your own bodies and walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the lust of the flesh. The way that the Lord wants to reform you is not from the top down, but from the bottom up. He wants to address and heal those deepest places of pain in your life and replace those destructive ideas that you've internalized with what's actually true about you and who you actually are. Remember, Jesus said famously, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, the evangelical church, for all of our strengths, we haven't gotten deep formation very well. We sort of lost sight of a lot of this kind of stuff. But the historic church has a rich history in formation. Practices like confession and community and meditation on scripture and stillness and listening prayer. These have always been a part of robust, transformed Jesus people, and it needs to be again. And Pure Desire, our new sexual recovery ministry, has done a beautiful job, not a perfect job, but a complete job of reclaiming some of these ancient practices that are anchored in the scriptures and also behavioral science and adapting them for the age of internet porn. And there are several really practical tools that you will learn in Seven Pillars of Freedom if you go to Seven Pillars of Freedom. Like, for example, the Faster Scale by Michael Dye and the double bind concept that you will employ every single week so that you are way more aware of what's going on in your emotions and beneath the surface when you are more vulnerable. And then you'll also learn these tools of how God wants to address your life architecture and your core beliefs, not just your unwanted behavior. See, these are tools or practices, as I like to call them, that have proven in our experience here at Riverbend, but more than just our experience here at Riverbend, in communities all around the world who are like a little bit ahead of us, that are actually going to result in your transformation. And requires it requires lots of training and time, but every single person that I have seen faithfully implement these practices and tools are now sober from sexual addiction, and they're doing well, which is a huge thing. Nothing has been that successful as these tools that we're learning from Pure Desire. So I'm imagining what this must feel like for those of you who are like feeling guilty and in a prison of sexual sin. We know from the statistics that you are in fact here. You are here. And we just want you to know that we see you. We know that that shame is intense. That feeling of, why did I do this? Why did I do this again? I promised myself not in a million years would I ever go back to this. And yet here I am again. I'm doing it all over again. What future do I have given my sexual past? Is there actual hope for me? Or am I just doomed to be stuck forever? In John 8, a bunch of religious elites brought this woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery, and the plan was to stone this woman as a pawn in their agenda to entrap and discredit Jesus. But just imagine her surprise when that's not what happened. But what happened is Jesus had compassion on her. Imagine the shock that she must have felt as she saw each and every one of her accusers who had planned to execute her drop the stones and walk away. Jesus is there protecting her from the shame and actually empowering her 
giving her a new life, saving her. He says, go and sin no more. And just like her, you do have a future if you can simply come to Jesus and get to him. This is the culture of grace that we're wanting to cultivate here. You can get your life back. This is where you can come for grace and restoration if you want it. We are here for you, and we want to make that happen for you. We want to be a part of your journey and your process. And we are not going to get this perfect, but we do have a spirit-filled process for transformation. And I know that it works because I've seen it work repeatedly now. And because it's anchored in the scripture and because it's anchored in the historic church, I have a lot of hope and trust and confidence in these kinds of tools and practices. Community, confession, stillness, and meditating on the scripture, all of these things are practices that go by different names in the pure desire paradigm, but they've been around for thousands of years. So we are calling you, we're calling you to be a part of this community with us. If you are broken, it is okay to be broken. Jesus, he died for that. He expects you to come to him broken. It's just not okay to stay broken. He wants to make you whole. So it is our turn. It is our time. This is it where we want to commit ourselves to a life of sexual wholeness. And for those of us who need it, a community of sexual recovery. I told you that this is not going to be a theoretical series. Because it's very important to us that this is on the ground, that you can actually see it's possible for you to be free of this kind of thing. And so um, we've invited um, last week um, some of our front runners. This week I'm also inviting some more front runners here to the stage to share with you what God has done in their life just in the last year as a result of pure desire and coming clean, stepping into the light and being forgiven by Jesus and made completely whole. I just want you to appreciate the challenge and the discomfort that it is to step up here and to talk about this kind of thing, especially when it's your issue. And that's exactly what Steve and Marcy have agreed to do, not because they want a microphone, but because they want to help and serve you as you come clean and walk in the light. So will you please honor my friends as they come up here and share their story. Steve and Marcy Middleton. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for being willing to talk about this. Why don't we start with you, Steve? How does this issue like, affect you? And tell us about your journey of freedom. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Andrew and the leadership team and the church for doing this and partnering with Pure Desire. Um, we spoke earlier, 7% of churches, Pure Desire statistics, 7% um, of churches have a program in place. Yeah. So we're joining that. But that's a lot of churches that don't. Yeah. So this is a huge uh, problem that's killing our all of us. Yeah. And um, so... Um, <clears throat> What we want to do with our testimony today is actually just kind of walk through a little bit of our lives, but then walk through what uh, recovery looks like and what God has done. So the first part is a scripture that's really hit me through this time is Revelations 12, 11. And they overcame him, which they're talking about Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So this is part of our testimony today. We are overcoming. We have not overcome. We may not overcome until Jesus comes, but we're in that process of overcoming. Come on. Um, the past eight months, all I could see was a picture of just like a dry riverbed, and there was stones around, and on the left-hand side, I just felt was the pain and suffering and just all the stuff of my life and traumas. And then on the right-hand side was these crazy out-of-the-world miracles that you just couldn't, like, I mean, I can't even explain how or what or why except for God. And I was reading a devotional, and it said, if you find yourself in the middle of a dry riverbed, it's evidence that there is a miracle happening, mm -hmm. happening because he had parted the waters, yeah. as he did when they were crossing Jordan to the... Um, Jordan River to the promised land. Yeah. And the stones um, are the stones of remembrances of the things that he's done. And those stones are for us to be able to tell our children and their, them tell their children. And so I want to give context to kind of our lives and living in the tension of the middle daily. It's mm -hmm. 
the reality of both sides. But where does God come? He comes in the middle and he creates a miracle and you feel so barren at times, but then you realize that there he is parting the waters, but at the same time holding space and weeping with us and, and just being there present in that dry riverbed. So when I was uh, five years old, I was expo exposed to pornography. The seed would be planted and years later, the roots would be deep inside of my brain. And it's taken a long time to unravel that long process. One of my, um, the reasons why the seed was planted and I used pornography to this day, well, I mean, not to this day, but when uh, I stopped using pornography was um, a life uh, that my parent, my dad had of abuse. So one of my very first memories was my dad hitting my brother over his back. And I was uh, five years old as well at this time and with a broomstick and the broomstick broke into two pieces. My brother was on the ground crying and that's all I remember from that. So all the way up until 12 years old, it was nothing but abuse physically, emotionally. Um, and my dad besides that was a pastor. So he would go to church, he would speak about Jesus, he would talk about the love of Jesus, yet he would come home and abuse us kids never expressing love to us, only shame, uh, shut down your emotions, stop crying, don't do this, don't do that. And at 12 years old, my dad, uh, everything caught up with him, but during that, this time when I was, before I was 12, he also had his addictions with pornography. Um, he had um, other things that were going on in his life as well. At 12 years old, it came to a head, he, uh, ran off uh, as a pastor with a church secretary, had an affair with the secretary, mm. stole money from the church, and ran off with her children. Mm. So I had nothing but abusive father, abandonment, betrayal from him. And then uh, later on, he, uh, a few weeks later, he was arrested, sent to jail for stealing. He got out, lived with his new wife. Years later, he wound up molesting two of her daughters and went to prison. Uh, it's horrible. So then um, to cope, the seed was planted, started acting out when I was younger, very young. But then I found music, I found guitar, and I was able to express who I was and my emotions through my guitar and how I met Marcy. Yeah. Um, the context to why I'm saying this is... Um, when I was six years old, I had a brain injury that just kind of like left me uh, fumbling the rest of my life of severe OCD, fear, anxiety, but I just didn't know any different. But at the same time, this crazy right-hand side miracle in the promised land, God used that and he, I guess just touched my brain and I could just play the piano. And it became my only lifeline where I found peace and it became where I found aspects of my heart. So that led to us meeting and playing in a band. And uh, um, yeah, and we've been married for 21 years. But during the process of us dating and um, marriage up until 18 years of marriage, so three years ago, I, I was unaware of addiction or the acting out. Um, and I believed the purity culture shame message because I grew up um, during that of you do A, B, and C if you're a good Christian wife, and that safeguards everything from happening. Mm -hmm. I disassociated from my sexuality because I had been so objectified and violated by boys in my youth group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I didn't know any different. I just thought, oh, this is what you know, marriage is, and I'll safeguard him and keep him happy. And, and yeah, and I had no clue what was unraveling underneath. And uh, I truly thought marriage would fix everything. I think probably most of us do. And uh, yeah, that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> it actually makes it worse. Yeah. So a lot of hard work with marriage. Um, guitar, though, um, with both of us, like music really helped us cope through life. Mm -hmm. Well, we actually experience some heartache. We've lost a couple children. Um, we also had a betrayal from a pastor in a church. And after that, I put the guitar down. 
And I just said, I won't do that. And so I turned and I, my brain went back to, well, if you don't have guitar, how are you dealing with your emotions? You don't have anybody you're talking to. You're isolated. There's no community. There's nothing like pure desire. So my brain went back there. During that time, uh, during my coping and acting out, I worked my way up the corporate ladder, got my master's degree in business, looked successful in the sight of the world, um, got acceptance through being successful at businesses and very large portfolios and doing all these things. And that was where I started to feel accepted, but it was all a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I was lying to my wife every single day, coping through life, um, not feeling my emotions. I was that 10% on that iceberg up top, and that whole 90% below was never dealt with until yeah. first discovery yeah. a few years ago. Three years ago. But backing up to 2012, I just going through some traumas and stuff like that outside of this, I, was, I found myself struggling with uh, suicidal ideation and that began my journey of um, the past 11 years of mental health. And, and that, I didn't know God was setting up as this amazing network of care for my children and me. And um, we go to psychiatrists and counselors. And anyways, I, I had no clue that it was going to prepare me to have to do the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And that was look at him eight months ago and say, I love you so much that I have to give you over to your consequences. And, and I asked him to leave, and I had to draw the line, and I had no clue that in the dry riverbed, as I felt like I was dying, that I opened my eyes, and there was an army around me, and it consisted of so many d- different people. And Andrew and Grace being one of them that just swooped us up, both of us never judged us, and um, three other gals here that have become my people. And a couple weekends ago, we were sitting at the Pure Desire Summit, and I looked at him and I was like, I've never imagined this could happen where there's a thousand people that all are in here unmasked. And we all love Jesus, but we're willing to talk about these hard things and call it for what it is. Um, Talk about a day of hell um, when I was discovered and watching my wife cry in front of me knowing that I hurt her, I became my dad. The one thing I didn't want to do. And then watching my kids go through the pain of what I did for them, to them. I will never, ever go back. I got a tattoo for it as well. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, God was orchestrating things in my life to help with the healing process. First thing is, one day of discovery, Marcy reached out to Grace and got um, some information about Pure Desires. And I reached out to Pure Desires right away, and there was a guy in Redmond I'm really good friends with. He said, you're not alone. I'm here with you, and I've gone through a similar circumstance and shared his story. Never knew that. I, I thought I was alone, and I wasn't. I went to Pure Desire, I left the house, Marcy asked me to leave for a while, and I honored her. Went to Pure Desire group that Monday night. My parents on Monday as well welcomed me in the door, her, her parents, my in-laws, they were representation of what Jesus was mm. to me. They accepted me, they didn't reject me, they um, worked, they discipled me. I still meet with my dad. He's my spiritual mentor. Every single week I meet with him. Some of the things that we've done to be successful and as we're overcoming is Pure Desires once a week and community of men who are open to um, being accountable. They're authentic. The masks are off. We confess to one another and we are Jesus to one another. And we don't, I don't like fake guys anymore. I won't hang out with you. (laughs) I won't. Um, I can pick you up a mile away. And because I've been there and I know what it's like. Um, We've also, like Andrew talked about earlier, meditation every day. Quiet time. I wake up at 4 a.m. from 4 to 5. I have my quiet time and coffee. Have to have coffee. (laughs) Every day I don't miss a beat. Um, But also 
in the back of my brain watching my wife and children cry knowing what I did to them. I'll never go back. I'm committed and I won't let the, um, the devil come in and kill and steal and destroy my family ever. And this is not a, a one-time thing. This is now a forever community yeah. that you can't, you just have to. That's, that's yeah. part of. Every week. The, yeah. And I mean, it, it's an incredible ministry. I'm so grateful. Um, a couple you get to hear from next week um, were the reason why we went to Pure Desire is because they were open and honest about their story with their community group. Mm-hmm and gave the information, and um, that's how it works, right? Yeah. So I beckon you to come to the promised land with us. Mm-hmm. I promise you it's going to be worth it. Yeah. It's really hard, and we live in that tension of the here and the now, but I promise you it is worth it because the miracles that we, I started with a small little booklet, and I've gone to now a binder because the things just in eight months, and this has been a three-year journey. Our first discovery was three years ago. But just what God has done miraculously, you can't make up. And it's little things here and there that add up to those stones of remembrance. Yeah, and we have too many miracles in this past eight months to even go over. But just a, a few um, is that, with our brokenness and our healing process. Um, I've asked my son if I could share his story, and he's okay with it today. He um, watched us for a little bit, and then he confessed, and he needed help, and he's to this day working through his recovery. He also started pillars. And started pillars. Mm -hmm. He also has a very good friend the same day confessed and is working through recovery as well. Mm. So there's just two, not to say all the other miracles, but that alone for me, because of my brokenness and what happened, I have now helped my son break that cycle. And that means more to me than anything. Yeah. Praise God. Can we just say thank you to them? So what you're hearing from Steve and Marcy is how they received uh, healing by turning to Jesus and turning into a community that was willing to unmask and to go beneath the surface to the deeper layers of our life architecture underneath the surface. And that is available to you too. And we just want to call you into the light. We just want to call you into the light. Like Marcy said, just like come out of hiding, go into the promised land with us because there is hope on the other side of this. This is not just about sex. This is a whole discipleship journey that you can go on. So will you please stand with me and let's respond to the Lord together. Father, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for how you have rescued us. Thank you that your grace is for us. And thank you that Jesus, through what you've done on the cross, you have already paid for the sin that I've committed, that Steve and Marcy have committed, that each of us have committed. You have paid for that sin. And by turning to you, pledging allegiance to Jesus as King, we get salvation and forgiveness of sin. And we are also transferred into this beautiful family that you've made us to be a part of. God, I pray when it comes to the people in this room who are dealing with shame, and are dealing with the throes of addiction. And just now they've realized, man, I've been focused at trying to stamp out behavior instead of letting God do a deep work of transformation from my heart. God, I pray that today would be the change, that the the day that it changes for people. I pray that you would just, Lord, resurrect in us a heart of consecration. Would you transform us, God? We don't want to stay the same. We want to be transformed. So teach us these practices. Teach us these tools and shape us into the men and women who are fully devoted to you in holiness, purity, Jesus. We want to make uh, you aware that we have um, the, the, uh, the prayer wall is now open if you need prayer for any reason. We just want to normalize this conversation and bring down the stigma of shame. If you are dealing with anything, Marcy mentioned even suicidal ideation. If that's where you are today or anything else that we've referenced, we just want to let you know that there are people in the back that would love to pray for you. You are not alone. We are here for you. And the Lord wants to meet and heal you. So please go to the back. 
receive prayer. And also on the 15th of this month, two weeks from today, we have our info night for Pure Desire and Betrayal and Beyond. This is your next step to getting free is joining this community. You'll learn everything you need to learn in that first couple of meetings and then you're off to the races in your journey of recovery. With that, tables are open. Uh, uh, Tables of communion are open. Let's come to the tables together. Receive prayer if you need prayer and let's give praise and honor and glory to Jesus.